Well, hey, welcome. I see some uh, some guests with us today. You got to come to church with your dad today, and uh, glad that you're able to be here, and even some other family members. Welcome, and um, just wanted to uh, greet you. We are um, this summer. We're we're looking at uh, comebacks in the Bible. Um, it's just kind of what God's put on my heart for for this summer. And we started the story of Joseph last week. Now, Joseph's a big story. All right, so today I'm going to kind of run fast because I got a lot of story to tell. And, um, you know, I got some folks that weren't here last week, so I don't want them to miss out on um, really just what God teaches us in the story of Joseph. Um, but, yeah, we're going to have to run fast if I'm going to get us done in time, you know. And it is Father's Day. You got to beat somebody to a, a restaurant somewhere, all right? Um, let, let me recap the story of Joseph for you. Um, Joseph's story actually begins um, long before he was born. His story begins with a promise from God given to his great-great-grandfather, Abraham. A promise that would lead to God's plan for salvation. A salvation that is known only through his son, Jesus. Um, So God promised Abraham that he would make him into a great nation, that he would give him descendants... Uh, that, and, and that his descendants would, have the, would be given the land of Canaan, and that through him, the whole world would be blessed. All right? Now, this blessing that the whole world is blessed with is the blessing of the grace of God given to man through the death and resurrection of his only son, Jesus Christ. All right? Abraham, he had a son named Isaac. Isaac had two sons named Jacob and Esau. All right? Jacob... Was uh, he was known because he wrestled with God, and in that God changes his name to Israel. Right. So if you you know about the nation of Israel, it goes back to this person Jacob. Jacob he has twelve sons. All right, and each of these sons had a family, and those families got so big that they became tribes. And uh, so you'll hear in history um, people talk about the twelve tribes of Israel. These are the 12 tribes that belong to the 12 sons of Israel who was once upon a time ago named Jacob, okay? Just to kind of give you that, that, make all those connections for you, all right? Uh, Israel's got 12 sons. His 11th son was named Joseph. Joseph is the 11th son of Israel, and he is daddy's favorite, all right? Uh, he was born to, to, to Israel in his later years, and he just adored this child more than he uh, adored others. Now, uh, that happens in families, but in this family, sibling rivalry just reached some epic proportions. So when your daddy's favorite, among 12 brothers who have an intense sibling rivalry, things are not going well, all right? Now, Joseph, he's first mentioned in, the book, in Genesis chapter 35 in a list of names, but his story really doesn't start being told to us with his name until chapter 37. And you might be familiar with this story because, because he was his dad's favorite, his dad gave him this coat of many colors, right? And this coat not only signified that he was daddy's favorite, but it also signified that dad intended for him to, um, to receive kind of the, the, the lead role in the family, all right? Which was unusual in a patriarchal society. The oldest son usually was the one who inherited. And so for the 11th son to be the one who's going to receive the inheritance, again, it just escalated the animosity towards Joseph. Now, Joseph was a dreamer, and God gave Joseph dreams. And he, there's two dreams that we're told about. And basically, Joseph has this dream where, where he just dreams that someday all his brothers are going to bow down to him. Now, they didn't like that dream. He has another dream where that not only is his brothers going to bow down to him, but so will his 
mother and father. All right. And uh, these dreams were a foreshadow of things to come. He was God was alerting him like, here's what's going to go. But Joseph didn't get the full picture there. And his brother certainly didn't get the full picture of God's plan. And so really those dreams just intensified the resentment to the point where they his brothers, they have this get rid of Joseph meeting. And Joseph wasn't invited. And at this meeting, they decide they were going to murder their little brother. Now, before they could carry out their plan of murder, they've, they've got him captured. They've got him thrown into this pit. And they see this caravan of, um, of traitors, uh, Ishmaelites, who are traveling to Egypt. And they decide, let's make a buck off of our brother. Rather than kill him, we're going to sell him into slavery. And they sell him into slavery. They take his coat of many colors. They put animal's blood on it. And they go back and they tell their dad... A wild animal killed him. They, they, they lie about what happened there. And Joseph, all of a sudden, in a moment, he goes from being the favorite son to being a lowly slave in a foreign land. Joseph is knocked down. Joseph needs a comeback. Now, on his way to Egypt, he is purchased by a man named Potiphar, who was uh, one of the king's officials. And uh, he's now a slave in Potiphar's home. And Potiphar notices that Joseph, he is successful in everything that he ventures into, that, 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 that things work well with, with, with Joseph. And that it wasn't that, that simply that Joseph was a harder worker than his other slaves. No, it's, that, it's that, that, that God was causing Joseph to have success. And in fact, in Genesis 39.3, it reads this. His master saw that the Lord was with him. And that the Lord caused all that he did to succeed in his hands. I mean, it was, his success was so remarkable that Potiphar, he, he says, that's not normal success. That's, that, that has to be divine. And, and because of that, Potiphar, he, he realizes, he says, I got, a, I got a, a, a real asset here. And he puts Joseph in charge of his household. And in verse 4, it says, so Joseph found favor in his sight and attended him. And he made him overseer over his house and put him in charge of all that he had. See, Joseph had been knocked down in life. But God is giving him a comeback. And one of the things we learned last week. Um, is that many of our own comebacks. Are, are held back. Are, are limited. They fall short. Because we end up relying solely on ourselves. Based on how hard we can work. Or how much we can endure and persevere in. Um, but the truth is no matter how talented or or determined you are you're still limited as a human being um when you rely solely on yourself your comeback is limited only to what you bring to the table and in this world none of us have enough i mean there are some folks who are just greater than others and bring more to the table those are the rare exceptions all right and your comeback will always be limited if you just rely on yourself and what you can do and what you know Joseph's comeback had no limits because God was with him. So Joseph gets promoted to manager of the household. He's in charge of everything. And while he's doing his work, he catches the eye of Potiphar's wife. Right? And she likes what she sees. She, she tries to seduce Joseph uh, into having an affair with her. And, and she would not take no for an answer. Um, but Joseph's belief in God... It made him a man of integrity and, and he would not sleep with her. And day after day, the Bible says she she pressed him and she pursued him and, 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 and he would not give in. And one day she corners him in her bedroom and she takes hold of his garments and she presses him again. 
And he, what he does is he, he resists and he pulls away. And in pulling away, she's still got a hold of his garments. He, he loses his clothes and she's left holding his clothes and he runs out of her bedroom naked. And things do not look good. Well, she's had it. She's done being told no. And she screams. And she makes it look like he came in and tried to seduce her. And when she screams, he ran out naked. That's why she has his clothes. She tells her husband this. And in uh, chapter 39, verse 19, we read this. As soon as his master heard the words that his wife spoke to him, this is the way your servant treated me, his anger was kindled. And Joseph's master took him and put him into a prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined. And he was there in prison, but the Lord was with Joseph and showed him steadfast love and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. And the keeper of that prison put Joseph in charge of all the prisoners who were in the prison. Whatever was done there, he was the one who did it. The keeper of the prison paid no attention to anything that was in Joseph's charge because the Lord was with him. And whatever he did, the Lord made successful. See, Joseph gets knocked down again in life. And he is in serious need of a comeback. And because God is with him, he gets promoted in prison. Now, I'm convinced that the story of Joseph is told to us so that we can have an example of faith and of integrity. See, Joseph never stopped believing in God, even when he was unfairly knocked down in life. And he was a man who would do what was right even when no one was watching, even when he was asked to do what was wrong. I mean, he had multiple opportunities to have an affair with Potiphar's wife, yet he honored God, and he did not sin in that way. So while in prison, Joseph meets two servants of the Egyptian king, a cupbearer and a chief baker. And both of these men, they had displeased the king, and he had them thrown into prison. And in chapter 40, verse 5, we read these words. And one night, they both dreamed... The cupbearer and the baker of the king of Egypt, who were confined in the prison, each his own dream and each dream with his own interpretation. When Joseph came to them in the morning, he saw that they were troubled. So he asked Pharaoh's officers who were with him in custody in his master's house, why are your faces downcast today? They said to him, we've had dreams and there's no one to interpret them. And Joseph said to them, do not interpretations belong to God? Please tell them to me. They both tell him their dreams. And Joseph, with wisdom from God, he interprets the dreams for them. Three days later, Joseph's interpretation comes to, to pass. And the, uh, the cupbearer is restored back into the service of the king of Egypt. And the baker is put to death. Uh, the cupbearer is very uh, appreciative. And he, Joseph says, uh, well, hey, would you, would you remember me? All right. Two years pass. And Joseph is still in prison. The king, the pharaoh of Egypt, he's got this reoccurring dream that troubles him. And no one can interpret the meaning for him. The cupbearer, after two years, finally remembers Joseph. And he tells Pharaoh that he knows someone who can interpret dreams, a Hebrew that he met in prison. And in chapter 41, starting in verse 14, it says, Then Pharaoh sent and called Joseph, and they quickly brought him out of the pit, And when he had shaved himself and changed his clothes, he came in before Pharaoh. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, I have had a dream and there's no one who could interpret it. I have heard it said of you that when you hear a dream, you can interpret it. Joseph answered Pharaoh, it's not me. It's not in me. God will give Pharaoh a favorable answer. Now, I just want to point out to you. That that the Bible says that Joseph was brought out of the pit. I mean, for two years. 
even though God was with Joseph and God was giving him success, Joseph was still in the pit. See, Joseph was in the midst of a comeback and yet he's still in the pit. Some of you may doubt the comeback that God is walking you through because you still feel like you're in the pit. You need to learn from Joseph here. But Joseph trusts in God's plan and he trusts in God's timing. And when he comes before Pharaoh, his belief and his trust in God, that's the first thing that comes out of his mouth. He, it, what doesn't come out of his mouth? He doesn't, he doesn't whine. He doesn't come out as bitter. He expresses no anger to God. I mean, for two years, he has waited. He asked that cupbearer to remember him. For two years, he's been waiting. He's been praying for deliverance. He's been praying to be released. Two years in the pit. A lot of us, when we've got to endure hardship for a length of time, bitterness sets in. Resentment sets in. We start asking God, why? What's taking so long? Can't you do something about this? And you doubt the comeback, because, and you're in the midst of it, but you're in the pit. For two years, he's waited for this cupbearer to put in a word, good word for him. For two years, he's prayed for release. He comes out dirty. He needs a change of clothes and a shave. Life has been unfair. Life has been hard. Others would be bitter. Other people would be mad at God. Other people would choose to be a victim. But Joseph's faith in God empowers him to rise above what's normal, and it'll do the same for you. You might be in the pits right now. But because of God, you can be in the midst of a comeback. You could just trust in his plan. Trust in his timing. Comeback will come together. Pharaoh tells him about the two dreams that he keeps having. One dream is about seven fat cows that get eaten by seven skinny cows. He's got another dream where he's got seven plump uh, Stalks of grain that are eaten up by, by, by seven withered stalks of grain. He can't figure it out. Joseph, with wisdom from God, interprets Pharaoh's dreams. And in verse 28, it says, it is, it is as told Pharaoh, God has shown Pharaoh what he's about to do. There will come seven years of great plenty throughout all the land of Egypt. But after them, there will arise seven years of famine. And all the plenty will be forgotten in the land of Egypt. The famine will consume the land. And the plenty will be unknown in the land by reason of the famine that will follow, for it will be very severe. And the doubling of Pharaoh's dreams means that it, this thing is fixed by God, and God will shortly bring it about. Joseph tells Pharaoh that he should appoint some overseers to, um, to collect the extra during the years of plenty so that there would be provision during the years of famine. And in verse 37, it says, This proposal pleased Pharaoh and all his servants. And Pharaoh said to his servants, can we find a man like this in whom the spirit of God. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, since God has shown you all this, there is none so discerning and wise as you. You shall be over my house and all my people shall order themselves as you command. Only as regards to the throne will I be greater than you. Now, did you catch what just happened here? Joseph just became the vice president of Egypt. He is second in command. There is only the Pharaoh has more authority and more power in Egypt than Joseph at this moment. Joseph, in his story, we've seen him go from being the favored son to being a meaningless slave. 
He goes from being a slave to being the master of Potiphar's house. He goes from being the master of Potiphar's house to being a prisoner. He goes from being a prisoner to becoming the second most powerful man in all Egypt. All because God had a plan. And though Joseph did not know God's plan, he trusted it. And he's able to experience this comeback. Talk about a comeback story. But that's not the end of Joseph's comeback. Chapter 41, verse 46, we're told that Joseph was 30 years old when he entered the service of Pharaoh the king. He was 17 years old when he was sold into slavery. I mean, think about this. 13 years of being a slave and being a prisoner. Well, the years of plenty happened just as he predicted, just as God had revealed, and then so did the great famine. And the great famine was so severe that it affected the entire Middle East region, not just Egypt. 22 years have now passed since Joseph had been sold into slavery. 22 years now have passed since Joseph has last seen his family. 22 years his brothers had been living with guilt for what they'd done. 22 years not knowing what had happened to their younger brother. 22 years of a father, uh, Father Israel, uh, mourning the loss of his son, believing that his son was killed by a wild beast. And because this famine is so severe, they've, they've now heard that there's no food in Canaan, but, but there's food in Egypt. And, and Israel sends ten of his sons. He says, go to Egypt and get food for us. And since Joseph was in charge of the food stored, Joseph's brothers had to come before him to purchase the food. Lots changed over these 22 years. His Brothers don't recognize Joseph. But Joseph recognizes them. Imagine the rush of emotions Joseph must have felt in that moment. Seeing those brothers who had wronged him so, sold him into slavery. He accuses them of being spies and they swear to him that they are honest men. I, I just, when I read that verse, I wonder what Joseph thought as his brothers who sold him into slavery said, no, no. We're honest men. Like, like, how did he hear that? How did he receive that? Joseph allows them to carry back food and he, and he secretly returns the money that they paid for the food. And when his brothers return home, um, they, they, they still are unaware that they encountered their brother Joseph. They open their bags of food and they discover the money they were supposed to pay for it, which causes them a lot of anxiety and worry because they're, they're worried. They're like, oh my goodness, when we go, they're going to think we stole this food from them. Joseph tells them, listen, you, you proved to me you're honest men. You come back with the youngest son. You bring back the youngest son, whose name is Benjamin. They return to Egypt with their youngest brother, Benjamin, and with the money. And they come once again before Joseph. And it, the Bible says that when Joseph saw his younger brother, Benjamin, he was overwhelmed with so much emotion that, that he had to leave the room just to compose himself. Once again, he loads his family up with food and he secretly returns the money that they've paid. But this time, he has a servant sneak one of his cups into the, the luggage that Benjamin brought. And he's got this plan. They're going to go off and he's going to bring them back and they're going to open up their stuff, say, somebody stole from me. And in Benjamin's bag is Joseph's cup and he accuses him of stealing. And he insists that now because of this wrong, Benjamin has to stay. Well, Judah, his brother, speaks up and he says, please don't take our brother. 
to, to lose Benjamin, the youngest son, would devastate their father. He, he's already lost one son. To lose another one would just about kill him. Please don't take Benjamin. And at this point, Joseph can't take it anymore. And he lets go of his anger. He lets go of his resentment. He drops the act and he reveals who he truly is to his brothers. At first, they don't believe it's really him. I mean, who would believe that? 22 years have passed and all of a sudden, the ruler of Egypt is the one you sold into slavery? He calls them closer to himself and, they, and as he, they come closer, he sees the shame. He sees the fear and the worry in their eyes as they begin to remember what they did to him. And Joseph, with a strength that comes from a true faith in God, he reveals a truth that sets all of them free. And in chapter 45, verse 8, Joseph says this to his brothers. He says, it was not you that sent me here, but God. He made me a father to Pharaoh and the Lord of all his house and ruler over all the land of Egypt. It wasn't you that did this. It was God. I think very few people would have that kind of strength and that kind of faith to say that. I mean, imagine the kind of anger that can build up inside a person who's been wronged like that. I mean, 13 years of living as a slave and being confined in prison. I mean, how often did Joseph remember being loved by his father, and to have that taken from him in the most cruel and unjust manner. Thirteen years without freedom. Thirteen years to ask, why me? Thirteen years to question God. Thirteen years to dream of vengeance. You know how you do. You, when you start to have those imaginary conversations, if I ever see this person again. Thirteen years of that. What did he think? He's been 22 years away from his father, and he did not deserve that. But rather than choose resentment and anger, which would be understandable in his case, Joseph chooses faith in God and forgiveness to his brothers. And here's the main point for us today. Got a lot of story, but really just one point. That forgiveness is an essential part of the comeback God has for you. And in fact, your comeback will stall, will come to a screeching halt without forgiveness. Because somewhere along the way, somebody's done you wrong. Somebody's been unfair to you. You've endured something that you did not deserve. And you can have all kinds of success come your way. But the, but, but the unwillingness to choose to forgive will 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 keep you from moving forward in what God has for you. Forgiveness is an essential to a comeback. I mean, had Joseph chose to not forgive, this story would have ended dramatically different. I mean, Joseph all of a sudden would have given in to anger and bitterness and resentment. He would have made choices based out of his anger and resentment and bitterness. You ever done that? Think back in your life of all the times that you've been angry, that you've been hurt. Can you think of a moment when because of your anger, you made a choice that you were glad? I am so glad that in my bitterness, I did this and I said this. Can you think of that? Because I, I really have a hard time. 
Most of the time when I'm angry, resentful, or bitter, I come away regret, with regret as well. I bet you do too. Had Joseph not chosen to forgive, I mean, he would have lost sight of all the good things that God had done. I mean, in that moment, he would have been consumed with, with what had happened to him, with what they did to him, rather than look at all what God has done for him. And you completely lose sight of what God has given you and by his grace that you don't deserve because you're just fixated on what you think was wrong. And you're, you're probably right, it was wrong. But God gives us a way to get past that. And it's a choice called forgiveness. Has this ever happened to you? I know it's happened to me. You can be in the midst of a good day with your family, with your friends. You've, you've had some success. Things are good. You're relaxed. And all of a sudden, somebody comes around that wronged you once upon a time ago. And that good day starts to deteriorate as you start to remember what they did and what they said. And, 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 and the good day's gone. You've been in a good place in life, enjoying success, a good time, and all of a sudden, that hurt comes back. And what was a good day turns into a bad day as you replay what they did and how they treated you. All those emotions come flooding back. You were having a good day, and you would have continued to have a good day had you not seen them. That's what unforgiveness does to us. You, you could have been winning the day, and all of a sudden, you go from being a winner to being the loser. That's what unforgiveness does. Had Joseph chose to act out of his hurt and out of his bitterness, imagine the kind of decisions he would have been make, making moving forward. By the way, we like to think that, that Joseph's comeback was going from the prison to the palace. Do you think that's what God saw as the comeback? See, God knows that there's things way more valuable than money, power, fame. I know God saying if we're really going to have a comeback to complete it, we need to be reconciled to our family. We need to get some things right. We need to be healed of some past hurts. And forgiveness is the way that's going to come. God orchestrated this. Comeback wasn't going to the palace. Comeback was this moment. So how did Joseph do it? How did he forgive the very people who wounded him so deeply and robbed him of so much? And I know some of you are asking that because you're wondering, how can you do it? The answer lies in understanding the true nature of forgiveness. Forgiveness is not a feeling. Right, we, we tend to think it's a feeling because we want to feel better about what happened or about a, the person who, who caused it to happen. But it's not a feeling. Forgiveness is not a feeling. Forgiveness is a choice. A lot of us struggle forgiving others because we want to feel better about them. But, um, and, and, and we sit there and say, we make the choice that I'm going to forgive. And then the, those feelings of anger and hurt come back and we, we doubt. Did I actually forgive? Because if I forgive, why would I feel this way? But it's not a feeling. 
feelings don't have a whole lot to do with forgiveness. Real forgiveness happens when you vow not to bring up the hurt with the person, when you vow not to bring up the hurt with another person, and when you vow not to bring it up even with yourself. That's when real forgiveness happens. And that is a choice that you make, not a feeling that you feel. There's this interesting teaching that Jesus gives us concerning forgiveness. Peter, he's trying to impress Jesus. And he comes up to Jesus and he says, Jesus, how many times should I forgive my brother when they sin against me? Seven times? Peter thinks that's a very spiritual answer because the number seven is the number of perfection. It's the number for God. And it's like, I mean, we're talking about forgiveness here, Jesus. How about if I do it the perfect number, the number for God? Seven times. And in Matthew 18, 22, Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times. Some translations have it 70 times seven. Now, most people have figured out the math and realized that Jesus is not teaching that we should... Um, uh, keep a tally sheet on other people's sins. You know, where everybody gets 490 chances. Okay, do, okay, Kevin. That offended me. 489. Counting. Living a life where you are... Uh, you might send out a courtesy letter to folks. We're just writing to inform you. That you've now offended me 485 times. You have five more forgivings coming to you. And then after that, you're done. Done with you. That's not what Jesus is teaching. Most people interpret Jesus' teaching here as you must forgive your brother an unlimited amount of times. And that certainly matches the forgiveness that we get from Jesus. But I think there's another way to interpret this teaching. I mean, typically, we think in terms of forgiving each sin against us one time. So if somebody wrongs me once, that's one. And then I have to forgive them for the next time. What if we are to forgive each sin a person commits 490 times or, or as many times necessary for, it, for that forgiveness to become real? I mean, I'm sure you've experienced this. Someone's wronged you and you choose to forgive, but later in the day, you remember. And all that hurt and anger comes back. And now you doubt, did I really forgive them? I mean, because look, look at how I feel. What if instead of doubting the forgiveness that you chose, you simply chose to forgive them again? So you choose to forgive someone, then later the day you remember, and the anger comes back to you and you stop and you say, no, I've chosen to forgive them. I'm vowing not to bring up the sin even within myself. And you choose it again. You've chosen it twice now. Then the day goes on and a friend comes up and says, hey, what happened between you and so-and-so? And you've got opportunity to to rehash all that was wrong and an opportunity to, to run them down and validate your experience and your feelings. And you say, no, I'm going to choose to forgive them. And I'm not going to bring this up with another person. And now you've chosen it three times. Then later in that day, 
you come and you meet the person who's wronged you. And you have a chance to come over there and, and make them feel what you felt and to give it back to them. And you stop yourself and say, no, I'm choosing to forgive. I'm not even going to bring it up with them. Now, listen, I've never ran a tally to see how many times I have to choose to forgive before it actually becomes a, a, a reality. But I'm pretty confident that if you made that choice 490 times, by the time you got there, it'd be solid. It'd be real. By that point, it wouldn't be a choice. It would just be who you are. If you've been knocked down in life, and we all get knocked down, and there's somebody that was a part of that, somebody hurt you, somebody did you wrong, you're going to come back. Forgiveness is an essential part of that. It is an absolute. It's not something you feel, it's a choice that you make. If you're going to come back in this life, then you've got to learn from Joseph and learn to forgive. It's an essential part of any comeback. In Genesis 50, verse 20, Joseph speaks these incredible words to his brothers. He says, as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good to bring about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. You meant it as evil. You meant to hurt. God means it for good. That is an incredible view of faith. And that's the way we can look at things. Let me close with this. Forgiving others is a struggle. I think it's basically virtually an impossibility until you've been forgiven yourself. God's not asking us to do anything that he's not willing to do for us. And if unforgiveness is eating you up, You need to rest in the forgiveness of God. Have you ever done that? Have you ever allowed God's forgiveness to come upon you? God's forgiveness is available to all. We've all messed up. We've all offended God. But God in his love for us sends his son Jesus. And Jesus paid a price on that cross that you and I could not have paid for ourselves. He endured the punishment for our sin. And because of him, forgiveness is available. And God says, if you would trust in him, if you would believe in his death and his resurrection, if you would receive him as the Lord of your life, the boss of you, you can be forgiven. And then out of following his rule in your life, you have a reason to make the choice to forgive others. And what it does is it leads you to freedom. I think all of us have experienced to some degree or the other the bondage that comes from resentment and unforgiveness. Freedom's there. It grows out of a relationship with Christ. Do you have that? You can. So I want to invite our musicians back up. And I want you guys to just start to, to play your next song. This goes over here. And while they play, I'm just going to stand up at the front. Just to 
to pray with you and pray over you. And I know that in this life, things happen, feelings are there. And I would just like to, if you'd let me, and if you want it, to pray with you about what you're dealing with. And about for you to have the strength and the resolve to make that choice again and again so that you might live in freedom. All right? Father God, I thank you for this moment. I thank you for the story of Joseph. I thank you for the forgiveness that you give us from your son Jesus. You give us what we do not deserve. You give us far more than we do deserve. And you are good. And you are loving. And because of you, God, we can walk in real freedom. Not bound by our hurts. Not ruled by our emotions. But to walk in faith. And so, Father, I just pray right now in these moments. That for everyone here who's just got a hurt that is holding on to them. That you would help them in this moment to let go. And they can walk from this place a little bit more free. And Father, I pray that if there be one here today who has not, by faith, given their life over to your son Jesus, that you'd call them today. That a life on a higher level is available to them that you'd call to them. Let them know that you love them. That they're not too far gone. And that you've got a purpose and a plan for them that begins with restoration with you. Father, have your way with us this morning. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.